welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Terry Wurzbacher. She graduated from medical school in the College of Osteopathic Medicine and Surgery at Des Moines, Iowa in 1975. She served 30 years in active duty in the Navy in various capacities, including emergency medicine, combat and disaster medicine, and the physical disability system. She retired from the Navy in 2004 and went to work with the Department of the Army as a civilian physician in the Army's disability system. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Welcome, Terry. And I'm very excited about having Terry on the show. She's quite a story. She's also a fellow physician. And of course, I've spent a lot of work on, you know, physician wellness and health. And Terry has a story that has some parallels with mine. And so she developed severe chronic pain and has successfully come out of it. So I'm anxious. I actually don't know Terry's story in as much detail as I would like. So it's Dr. Wurzbacher, but I'm going to call her Terry. And she is a very active, capable physician. And Terry, welcome to the show. And when did you retire from medicine? Uh, well, I, um, totally in 2020. In 2020. The Navy in 2004, but I worked in the disability system for the Army until 2020. So I'd just like to start at the beginning um, because I know you develop chronic pain, um, but I don't know what that looked like. I actually don't know that much of your story. So in medicine, when you have lots of stresses, we know lots of the principles of healing. So I'd like to know a couple of things. One of them is how your chronic pain syndrome evolved. And then also compare that with how we're trained as physicians it would seem like as physicians, we should be able to, first of all, avoid it. And second of all, be able to treat ourselves. And I didn't, I didn't either. And I suspect you had the same problem I had. Well, exactly. Um, similar to your story, I had a very tumultuous childhood. Um, my father was an alcoholic and it was like walking on eggshells, which I've subsequently learned is created all that hypervigilance. So I developed throughout my life and career, probably 19 of the things that are considered to be um, neural circuit disorders, whatever we wanna call them. Um, but I was able to manage through them. Migraines at that point were the worst ones. And as an ER doctor, I had a fair amount of stress. And then the other things I did with the military, I had a fair amount of stress, but nothing compared to 2016. I had a, a boss who was misogynistic <clears throat> to other people, fortunately not to me. I had another physician I was in charge of that was incorrigible and accused me of a toxic work relationship, et cetera. So my body finally decided it was time to get something done. And I ended up with shingles, no big deal. I mean, shingles is painful, but then I developed the post-herpetic neuralgia. Mm -hmm. and probably the worst 13 months of my entire life. I could always get by all the other uh, chronic pain things that I had, but this I couldn't. I was suicidal three times during that year. And then in 2017, the post-herpetic neuralgia went away when I got, well, I don't even remember what started it, but it was an underlying kidney disease. 
And then I had four or five different iatrogenic conditions from five weeks in the hospital um, total over three months. But what it successfully did was get me out of the environment that I was in. I didn't recognize, of course, any of that at that time. So then I, I investigated anything that I could, you know, um, people with chronic pain will spend fortunes trying to find anything that'll help treat them. Nothing worked. And I stumbled across Dr. Schubner's program and IFS, internal family systems. And internal right. family systems is really what got me out of the, the chronic pain from the post-herpetic neuralgia. I was still left with the, the other two primary uh, mind body and neural circuit disorders that have bothered me all my life, but at least I got rid of the, the suicidal one. And so our, Tom had asked me, and I don't remember exactly how I found your program, but the doc journey then became quite a haven for me in trying to learn the other techniques that would soothe my nervous system and help me you told me when I first contacted you that I wasn't going to avoid stress by being retired, but that I could learn to manage it and deal with it and help my body calm down. And so that's what's helped me more than anything in the last two years, I guess. So, so let me jump back in the equation. So you said you had 19 out of the, you know, Dr. Schumann has a list of 32 symptoms that are created from chronic stress. And so just to be clear, you and I both know this, is that chronic stress basically is, we think terms of stress being psychological, but it's just your whole body responding to a threat. I mean, your immune system goes out of whack, your metabolism goes out of whack, your muscles are tense, all sorts of organ systems go out of balance. So stress is a total response to threats and it translates into physical and mental symptoms. And so you mentioned that you had 19 of these. I'm just curious, can you just list some of the other ones that you had along the way? As best as I can remember them, um, I have migraines that's still persistent, although that's getting better. Um, multiple different GI conditions between IBS, GERD. Um, I, I've had carpal tunnel syndrome and surgery for that. I'm trying to remember some of the other ones, but tinnitus, I have chronic tinnitus. Um, <clears throat> I get vertigo. In fact, I'm dealing with vertigo now. Um, I'm at a loss to remember, but when I went down the list, yes. at some point in my life, I always had these conditions, right. but I never paid any attention to them. So that's probably the biggest message that I think we both have to the world is that body symptoms are created in the body from the physiology. Your body's immune system and metabolism define symptoms, which makes sense because if a car is parked in the street, it's fine. It's only when you turn the car on, you see how the car is running. So without motion and energy, you, you have nothing. You can't have symptoms without life and movement. So can you just discuss really quickly about how we're trained as doctors about symptoms being structural versus physiological? Well, that, that's very interesting because I got out of the practice of medicine before this medically unexplained um, symptoms term came in, but I wasn't taught anything about pain and the treatment of pain when I went to medical school or at any point thereafter. Um, you know, you just gave people medicine and then you treated whatever the cause was. And as an ER doctor, I was pretty good at turfing um, because that's what you're trained to do. You send someone to someone else right. to them. But I, there was never any kind of discussion of chronic pain, where it came from. In fact, it wasn't even there except as a symptom. 
if someone had X condition, you might expect pain. Um, like if you had asthma, you'd expect wheezing. If you broke a leg, you'd, but it wasn't concentrated on. And there certainly wasn't anything discussed as far as psychological impact or inflammation um, that I know that you emphasize as well. Stress was not even dealt with either for us as students or us as providers. So we were working blind. I thought it was sort of peculiar in our medical training is that they talked about phantom limb pain, which is a pretty big deal. Yes. And they never really explained that to me in medical school or my training or later on. But I mean, the leg is gone. And we now know with chronic pain in any part of the body that the brain can memorize the pain. But phantom limb pain is pretty obvious and pretty clear and pretty darn miserable for people who have phantom limb pain. Did you deal with that much in the military when you were in the military? Um, not un until I got into the disability system and then people would come into the disability system when they've lost a limb and they had the, the pain, but that was generally a lower down um, condition. They usually had PTSD. They got bored, medically boarded, meaning they had to get out of the service because of the amputation. And then, oh, by the way, we have this pain too. So I dealt with it knowing about it, but my biggest exposure to chronic pain in the 27 years of disability that I worked um, was the people with the low back pain, chronic low back pain. They were young, right. they had normal imaging, all the stuff that now everybody, you know, because they're still in that routine traditional medicine, think they're faking and they're right. not, you know, we've learned so much about that. So I'm gonna say something that we both know that the audience is not gonna to wanna to hear, but so if you go to a doctor, especially a surgeon, and you do a bunch of testing and there's quote, nothing wrong, <clears throat> um, you get labeled as a patient that they're, you're, you're a malingerer, you want the money, um, you don't wanna work, um, you just can't tolerate pain, et cetera, or the pain's not really there. You're lying about it. And so we're, we're trained that way. And I thought actually the way to deal with disability is, is actually to become tougher. We just weren't tough enough in patients in disability. And what I now know in the disability system, people are trapped. And when you're trapped, your body's physiology is way off. So a long time ago, I had this vague sensation of, wait a second, people in workers' comp don't go back to work as easily because they're trapped and they're angry. They're just pissed off and, I, and, and I, I get it. And then we also know the data that out of Australia that the mental health consequences of being on disability and off of work are quite severe. People are designed to thrive and live their life. They're not designed to sit around the house, right? And so, but from your perspective as physicians, we're sort of trained that if we can't see it on a test, it doesn't exist. Is that correct? Definitely. And that's the way I felt because when the shingles went away, I had this horrible pain, but you couldn't see anything. Correct. Fortunately, I got sent to a pain management guy. He was a, a nurse practitioner, but he believed me. But otherwise, you know, there's no lesions there. People think you're just full of crap and you don't want, excuse me, don't want to go to work, you know, that type of thing. So you're exactly right, David. Did you have that experience yourself about people? I mean, your physician, did you have the same experience of not being believed by doctors? Um, well, not really because I got referred, I actually referred myself to this pain group and they sent me to this one particular guy and he believed me. I fortunately didn't screw with the, the military system with that, I just got referred quickly. But I, I felt that at work, 
um, you know, when I would have to leave because the pain became so bad and I was working with other physicians, they, they said they understood, but after 13 months, they just think you're whining, you know. I know. So I'm going to tell you something that's going to really irritate you because I'm also a migraine sufferer and my migraine, my migraines are gone. But I just talked to a journalist who was writing an article on migraines and I didn't realize this because migraine headaches, as you know, are brutal. They're some of the worst pain in the human experience. And I had the bad ones. I every two or three weeks, I'd be out for 24 hours. I couldn't move and I would end up vomiting the whole deal. It was a bad deal. And so it turned out that 38% of people with migraines are not believed by their employees or colleagues that they have to cut back on their work during a migraine. And I'm going, oh my goodness, because I mean, this most painful thing in the planet is a migraine headache. And 38% of people that with migraines are not even believed by their employees or their colleagues or their family that they're actually suffering that much. That to me is astonishing. Well, because I, I think that's also because people have headaches and they think, well, you know, I made, I worked, it wasn't a big problem, but they don't understand the difference between a headache and migraine and the right. whole composite syndrome of migraines. Now, if you're puking, I think that's a good thing that they might do, but not everybody, <laughs> you know, I, I experienced that more than with the pain from the post-herpetic neuralgia. Yeah. So anyway, it's a really, so not being believed by colleagues, friends, and the medical profession, I think is really, really rough. I think, and that's why I use the word, as you know, called the abyss, is that they have done studies showing that the impact of chronic pain on a person's quality of life is the same as having terminal cancer, except both papers show that actually having chronic pain is worse than terminal cancer because and I don't want to minimize cancer because it's horrible, but at least with terminal cancer, you know the problem. Yeah. And there's actually an endpoint, either you're healed or you're not. With chronic pain, you don't know what's going on. Nobody believes you. There's no endpoint. And I do use the analogy of, you know, Victor Frankel, who's a psychiatrist who wrote the book, Man's Search for Meeting. He was an Austrian psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz. And he said the worst part of the ordeal, in spite of horrible, horrible physical insults, that the worst part was not knowing if and when there's an end to it. Do you remember that part of the book? Did you, you read that book? Yeah. That really struck me is that you don't know when it's going to end. You can sort of tolerate the day-to-day -day stuff, but if there's no end point, it just drives you crazy. And so with chronic pain, it's a huge problem. So you're not believed. Nobody can tell you what the problem is and there's no end point. So you mentioned something I thought was interesting, which I have to um, also acknowledge in my journey, is that I became an epiphany addict. I kept looking for that one answer that was going to solve my chronic pain. And I would read internet. I would read books. I would go to doctors. I just spent probably, I would talk about my pain. So I probably spent probably 40% of my waking hours looking for an, an answer for my pain. That's, this is for, I mean, not when I was working, of course, but of my free time, probably at least 40, 50% of it was spent trying to find an answer. Then I'd find this answer. And I tried for a few weeks. Of course, nothing worked. And as you know, the answer comes from a combination of things. It's never, it's never one answer to chronic pain. That's the key. Because chronic pain is a complicated problem. You have to address every aspect of it simultaneously to solve the problem. And so you mentioned that same idea that you spent a lot of time searching for the cure. What was that like for you? Well, that was, it was really more... Um topical things or supplements. 
and I probably spent more than 40% of my free time during that year because I just wanted to die. Um, and, you know, Joe Blow will write a testimonial that I used horse manure and rubbed it on my shingles and the pain went away. And I probably wouldn't go to that extreme, but equivalent, I, I bought tons of stuff that people said would work and it doesn't work. So then you get depressed or you think there's something wrong with you, you know, how that, that vicious circle and you right. get into the abyss that you're talking about right so i just want to talk about the suicidal part of it for sure because i've been pretty clear in my journey that suicide was a major issue for me i have 20 medical colleagues dead from suicide um one of three of my two of my best spine surgeon friends are actually dead from suicide and so i have on i just gave a long interview to a reporter again on physician suicide so i was one of my fellow spine fellows committed suicide with carbon monoxide about two years after the spine fellowship and then a few years later two other spine fellows committed suicide under the same program and then for me personally when i coming back from work in idaho from twin falls i'd driven a couple hours i was just getting ready to drive into the garage and do the same thing so i was there i'm not totally sure how i pulled out of it um but it gets really dark and we know for instance in I can't mention the paper because it's sort of confidential information, but there's a paper looking at spine fusion for back pain that out of you know, a certain number of patients, um, there's a 5% suicide rate. So suicide and chronic pain is a very common issue. So I'm just curious what that part of your journey was like. Um, well, I didn't go for help. I probably should have, but it was... Um... It's interesting how you can tolerate pain to a certain point, and then it it either gets worse or it just becomes persistent. But I remember these three particular times. I would scream. Fortunately, I live alone, but I would actually be screaming in pain from this post traumatic propatic neuralgia. And I finally, finally, each time would say, "I can't take it anymore." And then something enabled me to make it through and I, I didn't do it but I just wanted it to end and that was the only way I could see it would end which goes back to your point uh, like for Viktor Frankl is if you don't see an end why bother going on I felt my life was over then I was just going to have to live with this pain forever and not be able to do anything I would go to work I would come home and I'd have to put clothes on that had the back cut out because I couldn't stand anything touching my skin I couldn't walk, I couldn't run, I couldn't do anything. I would just go to work and thank God for a TENS unit, whether it was a placebo or not, but that enabled me to make it through work and then come home and just wait till the next day. And that's no way for anybody to live. And that's what our chronic pain patients go through. Of course, you and I both know the word placebo is a bad name, but actually but all placebo is, is using your own body's healing capacity. And of course, in medicine, we're taught, well, somebody responds to placebo, must be the pain must not be real. That's not true. In fact, there's some debate whether any drug has an effect, whether it's all, all placebo. In other words, your body can heal itself if you allow it to. And placebo is just connecting to that body's healing capacity, which is way more, I mean, the most powerful drug in this universe is actually placebo. And so whatever you can do to recruit your body's capacity to heal, as long as it's not damaging, in other words, the problem with spine surgery, as you know, it's very damaging. So in the success rate of spine surgery for back pain is about 22%, which is not very good. And the problem with spine surgery is we're actively physically hurting people with long-term consequences. So it's even worse than what you went through. So what I like to do is that on the second podcast, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the, 
things that help change your pain around. But I just want to spend a couple of minutes. Um, I know you have some symptoms left, but just if you can encapsulate for us what your life is like now, and just talk about these different races you're doing now, because I'm assuming back a few years ago, that probably wasn't possible. Well, it definitely wasn't. Um, from 2016 until 2018, I didn't do any kind of physical activity. Um, but then in 2018, I was able to start back and I can't run anymore. I probably could, but it would take too long to get used to it. So now I just stick to walking. Um, and I do endurance races. I just came back from one um, four day race, actually 100 hours where I did 138 miles. And in December, I did a 10 day race where I did 311 miles. As you know, last summer, I walked across Tennessee. Um, and I just love that. And it's interesting that when I'm doing them, I rarely have any migraines. Okay. That tells us a whole lot, right? Right. So the bottom line is that you're doing much better. Your life is not over. Right. And we'll talk about the principles about how you healed in a few minutes on our next podcast. But just give us a hint of just the basic approach or basic concept that changed your mind that allowed you to heal? Um, well, understanding what it is that causes the chronic pain. I think that that's key. That's the awareness that you told, told us about. And that takes a while, um, even though I was able, especially as a physician, to, to comprehend it and watch what had happened in my life. So it made it easier, but I think that's the most important thing. Then the awareness of what's happening in your body, the, like you and Les talk about getting rid of the word anxiety, that right. is sensations. So all of that awareness that you've taught us and, and keep hammering on is really, I think, the keystone. Then the other techniques, I don't know if you want me to talk about them now or later. We'll talk about it in the next podcast, the actual techniques, what we what we decided to do. But I guess um, the, and to summarize from my concept, and I think I'll put words in your mouth for a second, is that you know, understanding the nature of the problem allows you to solve it. Correct. Is that a first statement? Yes. And physicians, and, and again, very, uh, Terry's a very experienced physician, so am I. I had 15 years of chronic pain. I was taught nothing. Um, I'm, you know, when I say pain free, I mean, right now, if I get triggered, it's, you know, it's a very dynamic day to day, week to week process. For some weeks, are remarkably good. Um, this week, for some reason, my left knee just blew up. I have a horrible left knee and I something triggered it. I don't know what it was. Um, I've not been doing my expensive writing. I put on a big pain summit, which was stressful. So who knows what set it off and it doesn't matter. So I do know I can do my tools that I teach my clients and patients and I'll be fine. But sort of, I think knowing the nature of the problem is a huge factor in solving it. So if you don't know the nature of it or what even caused it, how can you solve it? I, I think one thing that's important for people that are in chronic pain to realize too is to be patient. Um, a lot of these programs and things, and, and you're very good at making people go slowly, is you've had something, in my case, for 70 years or however long I've had migraines, it's pretty close to that. And it's not necessarily going to go away in two weeks, three weeks. You have to continually work the process. And you telling us, like, my knee got triggered. I don't know how, but it got triggered. That helps people not go, oh, shit, this isn't going to work. You know, right. and then 
start right back at the beginning of square one. I think that's so vital and that's why it's important to have a program like the Doc Turney where you have an anchor and you're an excellent anchor and kind of getting people back. It's okay, you know, you've had this a long time, just practice the tools that we've learned. And that I think is critical. It's a coach in a sense. Yeah, the metaphor that I use now is that of a major league baseball player. I mean, it takes many years to be able to hit the ball at all at 90 miles an hour. And then you have single A, double A, triple A, then the major leagues. And you just get, as you practice and practice, you get better hitting the ball, but you miss a lot of the time. And life is not predictable. You know, we have to learn how to process adversity more. So to me, the doctor allows you to process adversity more efficiently. So you don't stay in fight or flight as long. And then, of course, the healing occurs into moving into the life that you want. And your story, um, again, Walking the state of Tennessee with those 314 miles during, I remember that, right? 314, yes. Right, that's my son's birthday, by the way. That's why I remember the name. Right. 314. So she walked 314 miles last summer. Is that right, Terry? In 10 yeah. days. And we were physically connected to nature, by the way, which is a big part of our modern society's problems, that you're exercising, which is anti-inflammatory. You're connected to nature in a nice environment, which is also anti-inflammatory. And um, you didn't have much pain while you were doing it, right? Right. And it's interesting. It's very stressful because you go from point A to point B and you have to make it in 10 days or less. And I'm slow. So I'm right at that borderline. And you have to carry everything you need with you or buy it at a 7-Eleven, that type of thing. So there is a lot of stress, but it's a much different kind of stress. Right. And a the tools that you've taught us help with that as well, but it, it's a totally different kind of stress than the day-to-day stuff that we've experienced since we were born. So, well, Terry, thank you very, very much. And we're on, the, on our next podcast um, with you, we're going to talk about um, some of the paradigm shifts occurred in your mind and your personal journey, maybe some ways we can train physicians better in these concepts. I think we're both on the same mission to try to bring this out into public awareness. And uh, of course, um, is in physicians, unfortunately, we'll talk about this for a second also in the next podcast is that a lot of us do come from abusive backgrounds and this drive to escape our past actually drives us insanely to become physicians at a level that's just not that healthy for us. That's why the burnout rate now is over 60% in medicine, I think. But anyway, Terry, thank you very much for being on this podcast. Well, thank you for having me, David. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Terry Wurzbacher, for being on the show today and for sharing her journey through chronic pain, including her struggles with the medical care system itself. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.